Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to take them and turn to the Old Testament, and we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And uh, as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, how many of you have ever been in a sermon series on Ecclesiastes? Anyone? You know why? Because it's a really hard book. So uh, many pastors avoid it, but we're not avoiding it tonight. So you're going to get five weeks of Ecclesiastes. And after tonight, you might not come back. But here's what I hope. I hope you do, because I think God has something for you and for me. We start this five-week study, and uh, I believe that God wants to say something to us. We've entitled it Living in Fantasyland. And speaking of Fantasyland, I just want you to know, here's what's hanging when you walk into Disneyland for everyone to see. As you walk into this place that seeks to take us away, maybe from reality, and transport us into the Fantasyland. Here's what it says. Here you leave today. And you enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. It's quite an acknowledgement. It can be a very uh, hopeful statement or a depressing statement, however you want to look at it. But what they are really saying is this. There's no joy to be found in today. (laughs) So we have to hold on to the nostalgia of yesterday or the promise of tomorrow. Or really, in reality... We can go there to Disneyland to escape and live in our fantasy land for one day. Maybe to find enjoyment, relief, and believe that we can find a whole new world. A new fantastic point of view. Maybe a dazzling place I never knew, but when I'm up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world with you. You want me to sing? No, you don't. Unbelievable sights. Indescribable feeling, soaring, tumbling, freewheeling through an endless diamond sky. A whole new world. See? 100,000 things to see, it says. Hold your breath. It only gets better. (laughs) Let me share this whole new world with you. And maybe as attractive as that sentiment is, the only time we can live according to fantasy land is today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow might not never come, and all we have is today, so they say. This week, uh, most of you saw all over your media feeds that there was a search for a a missing submersible that went down to the bottom of the ocean to tour around the Titanic that sank in 1912. And this mini-sub had been missing since it lost contact with its surface ship on Sunday morning, about an hour and 45 minutes into what should have been a two-hour dive to the world's most famous shipwreck. Five people on board were later confirmed dead, including a 19-year-old young man. They billed this expedition as this, a chance to step outside of everyday life and discover something truly extraordinary. A chance to step outside of everyday life and experience and discover something truly extraordinary. And for the extraordinary, it only cost $250,000. But ultimately, it cost each one of them their lives. In 2018, there was a professional trade group that warned Oceansgate, the submersible company, that their approach to the design of this mini-sub could lead to potential catastrophic outcomes And this company ignored those warnings over and over again. It's 
It's kind of ironic and really sad that those five people were on an adventure of a lifetime as they went to view a tragedy that happened over a hundred years ago and then themselves became a tragedy as well. We come to this book of Ecclesiastes. It's as real and raw a book as we can find in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is filled with mostly questions and not a whole lot of answers. It's a book that will push you to the boundaries of thought. And it's a book that will have you asking why you believe really what you believe. Really, it asks you why over and over and over again about everything that you do. It shows you that the things you are often looking to in order to find meaning and purpose, or the things that you do to help escape this world and the life you might be living right now, those things really won't provide you what you are looking for, especially if you expect too great a return from them. And so today is our introduction to this five-week series. It's an introduction to the book and the author. Hopefully, I will set up our series and set you up to begin asking some questions, at times maybe probing about what it is that you're living for and who it is that you're living for. But before we dive into this book, I think it might be wise for us to understand the author and who he was. His name is Solomon. And 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us in the Old Testament that he's taken the throne over from his father David. And as he's come into power as a young man, he went and he told God this. He said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to govern these people. I need help. And as Solomon cried out for help, he asked for a discerning heart. He asked for a heart that would be able to distinguish between right and wrong. And here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, here's what the Lord said to him. The Lord said, I'm going to do what you asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. Not only will I provide what you ask, now I will give you more than you ask. In 1 Kings 10, it tells us who King Solomon really was. King Solomon was greater, verse 23, in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put on his heart. This man had it all. This man was a great king. Under him, uh, for 40 years, there was no warfare under his leadership. He authored three books in the Bible. And some believe that the three books he authored were done in different periods of his life. And if you look at the books and the context, what they talk about, they're probably right. If you've ever read uh, the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, he probably wrote that when he was young. <laughs> And just starting out and full of energy and life. And then we have the book of Proverbs, which they say maybe was in the middle of his life when he was reflecting back and still reflecting forward and, and looking to give some wisdom. And then Ecclesiastes was probably written in his old age. After the king who had everything, more wealth, more honor, more women, he looks and he comes and he says, I need to share some things with you about this thing called life. God said, when he spoke to Solomon, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to honor me with everything that you have and everything that you do. And Solomon said he would. But as he got older, um, he strayed away from that. And he began to take his eyes off of God and he began to do things his own way. And God said to Israel and to Solomon, you're not to marry anybody from any foreign land. Yet Solomon decided that he needed to do just that. He married and had 700 wives along with 300 concubines. Foreign wives brought their foreign gods and Jerusalem now was filled with all of these women and all of their gods. And Solomon began to worship these gods. And here's what it said, 1 Kings 11.4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, as the heart of David, his father, had been. This dude had everything you could want and more, more than any of us could ever imagine. Yet, when God was pulled out of his mind of thinking, out of his frame for reference, his heart was turned away from him. And his eyes began to focus on everything under the sun. The word Ecclesiastes in the Greek is a word for preacher or teacher. But the actual Hebrew word is uh, koalet. Some of your translations say uh, who Solomon is. At the very beginning, verse 1, we pick it up in chapter 1. He was a teacher, a preacher. Some say more of a philosopher. I love what Chuck Swindoll said about him. He said he was a searcher. Like toward the ends of his life, he was one who was gathering things, who collect, who assembled, who was searching for answers to the greatest questions everyone is asking, but he very rarely found meaning. So verse 1 says this, this is the words of the teacher or the preacher or the philosopher. He is the son of David and he is now king in Jerusalem. That English word of teacher or preacher, it might be a little bit misleading, Because you might think of someone maybe like me or Chris or someone else that gets up here that gives you a sermon or preaches to you. In the context of what is being talked about, it's more like sitting in a a cafe uh, with an older gentleman who had some great wisdom, having a cup of coffee and, and gathering and grasping all you can from this man. His experience, his life that was lived. At his old age, he comes to tell you some revelations and to impart something on you. Or for some of you, it might be sitting in a classroom learning from a great philosopher who has a learned perspective. See, context is really important because after it identifies who he is, here's what he says he's learned about life without God. Verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Four times in one verse, meaningless. Are you encouraged you came to church tonight? Life is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The word in Hebrew is habel and literally means a breath. And despite the New International Version's translation as meaningless, what that word really translates best is probably this, that it's, it is a breath. It is fleeting. It is vanity. It is but for a moment. The point is, That you and I here on this earth, we're just vapors. We are passing through quickly, and this place is elusive. It's hard to grab a hold of. It just means that things only exist for a brief moment, and then they pass away. 
So if you don't hear anything else or you haven't heard anything in my sermon, I would love for you to remember just this one line. And you might think that my sermon is meaningless tonight, and you might be right, but just remember this, that everything in life might be meaningless, but everything in life really does matter. Everything in life might be meaningless, but everything in life really does matter. Speaking of this book being a book of questions, we move on to verse 3, where the first question is asked. So what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? If you have your Bible, you might want to underline under the sun. It really encapsulates the whole 12 chapters. Generations come, generations go, but you see the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever turning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they there return again. So what's life all about? What do you hope for in the end? Well, there are three kind of stock answers from a worldly view. So if you were looking at it under the sun, there's the humanist view. And it says, I'm here to make this world a better place. The humanist kind of governs their life by reason, experience, and evidence, not faith at all. Those are the best ways to find out about life in the universe. So it's the humanist view. The hedonist view is this, life is meaningless except for pleasure above all things. The hedonists are their pleasure seekers and all they are about is seeking out their own pleasure. And the third one is the existentialist. The philosophical belief that we are each responsible for creating our own purpose and our own meeting. But what is life really about? What do people gain from all their labors which they toil at under the sun? See, Solomon here is talking about everything the world has to offer. He's not talking about special revelation from God. He's not talking about the word of God. He's not talking about the afterlife or the, the, the knowledge of a higher meaning and purpose in what we do because of Jesus and what he gives us. And the conclusions that Solomon come to are only based in what is observed by the naked eye. So part of our job over these next few weeks is to help you see and bring into focus Christ and what he offers. The salvation that he freely gives. Eternal life that can be yours if you choose to follow this one Jesus Christ. As you saw tonight, those that came up on the stage that said, my life is, is, is transformed by the power of God, those that will be baptized, those six people that came to Jesus, they had a revelation that God spoke to them and Jesus came to their heart and their life was changed. And it wasn't what happened under the sun, but it was what Jesus, through a supernatural experience, did in their hearts to change their lives. But the perspective is, what satisfaction do you truly have under the sun? And this verse is really the key verse of all of Ecclesiastes. I love what Gordon Dahl says about us as kind of human beings. And I would consider most of us middle class. So he says most middle class Americans, well, they tend to worship their work, to work at their play, to play at their worship. And as a result, their meanings and values are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair. And their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. Might be pretty accurate. 
See, in this world, we're searching for meaning and we're on a quest for purpose. Solomon comes and says, hey, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I love the way the Message Bible translates this verse. It says this, one generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet earth. (laughs) It's a bit ironic, isn't it, that humanity was made to rule the planet, and yet it is the planet that persistently endures. The earth, the sun, the wind, the rivers, they all move according to the Creator's plan regardless of what we do. God's sovereignty and our dependence on Him is really what's most important because round and round the earth goes, even returning on its course. Herodias and Thucydides, they were two ancient Greek historians of the 5th century B.C., these two guys were very concerned with what was going on in their communities and in their day. And I'm going to show you this list because their real concerns just reads like a list of our real concerns. Round and round it goes, even returning to its course. Here's what they were concerned about. The first one, the threat of international war. The demise of marriage and rise of divorce. The rebellion of their youth and their apathetic attitude in following the counsel of their elders, preferring instead to embrace new fads. The corruption of politics and injustice within the courts. And just to throw this in, the terrible conditions of the potholes in the public roads. (laughs) What has history taught us? Apparently not much. Or that Solomon was right. Round and round it goes even returning on its course. Second question starts in verse 8. What do we all have in common? Well, let's continue with this encouraging chapter of Scripture. All things are wearisome, it says. More than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. You see, no matter how beautiful it is to the eye or pleasing to the ear, we are often left with desiring more. And when we find things that we like and enjoy, we rarely find ourselves saying, well, this is enough of that for one lifetime. I don't want to ever do that again. And that is something we really, really enjoy. No, no matter how much, no matter how long, no matter how good it makes us feel, we still crave more. We may become satiated, but we will never become satisfied. And it always has diminishing returns. If you were here last week, I I, I spoke of the temptations that came to Jesus, and and they're the same ones that come to us in Matthew chapter 4, and and one was that the more that you desire and the more that you have, the less it will give you. I love golf. I love to play golf. Back in 2014, I I, I remember going to my wife because I was trying to figure out how I was going to sell a golf trip to her. Um, And I went to her and I said, look, Marty, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's how I started it. Once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, Most of you know, if you go to church here, I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. My dad grew up in Tuscaloosa, so I have family there. So 
myself and three other men from this church were going to go on four or five days of playing golf, and then we were going to go to a football game. And my cousins got us great tickets, and he was going to get us in. I was going to stay at their house, and I tied family in. And, and, and so she agreed to the once-in-a-lifetime trip to Alabama. Now my wife coins it as this, the once-in-a-lifetime trip that happens every year. <laughs> because once you go once, you just can't stop. It was like, man, I experienced it once. I got to do it again and again and again. And now we're like at year seven. We've hardly missed and can't wait to go back again. I love the group Coldplay. Love Coldplay. I went to the Rose Bowl. I went and saw them in San Diego. I thought this was a great experience for my wife. So I bought tickets in British Columbia because we have friends there. We flew to British Columbia. We saw Coldplay with our friends. They're coming to the Rose Bowl in October. Guess who has tickets? I do. It's going to be my fourth time and I can't wait. I almost thought about going twice because they're there on Saturday night and Sunday night, but I have to preach on Saturday night. So I'm going Sunday night. I love Coldplay. See, there's things that you love and you think, oh, if I just get to do it once, if I just get to see it once, but then once is just never enough. I don't know if, if you know this, but even having just one device is never enough. I think my wife uh, understood that because she got me this little gadget for uh, Father's Day. I'm thinking she didn't because I don't think my kids did it. So um, when, when the NBA playoffs were on, she didn't really want to watch basketball. So we would watch something else and then I would have my phone with the game. So she bought me this. And this bad boy just goes in like that. Look at that. Is that awesome? I can just lay right there on the couch. It can go at any angle. Thing is great. I don't know how I'm going to fit that in my backpack for the plane. But look at that. Because you can never have enough devices. So you got the TV up there. I can just watch right here. See? No eye has seen enough. No ear hears enough. Because here's what happens. You just want more. I'm sure you can get that on Amazon, dads, uh, if you would like one, because some of you are looking at it like, oh, I really need that. I want you to listen to this poem, and maybe this is kind of what you as a human being have thought, because I know in some seasons I've thought this. But it says this, it was spring, but it was summer that I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves, and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was really winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. <laughs> to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Jason Lehman, who wrote that, was 14 years old when he wrote that poem. Incredible insight into us as human beings. Solomon comes and he closes out this section in verse 11. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who will follow them. 
Just a fun and encouraging fact for all of you today, most of us won't live to see our 85th birthday, and then we'll be gone, and not soon after, forgotten. Are you encouraged tonight? (laughs) Case in point, what do most of you know about your great-grandparents? For that, what do you really know about your grandparents? Here today, gone tomorrow, and no, more, no one remembers former generations. Huh. James said it this way in chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there. We'll buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. So, what do we do with this vapor? Some of us tonight, um, if we're honest, and some of us don't like this section of scripture because it kind of probes a little bit. If we're honest, our, our eyes most of the time are this way and not this way. Most of our lives are, are spent, and this is our reality of what's going on here. When Christ comes and he says, hey, your eyes are supposed to be here. Do you understand that you're just a vapor? Your job, it's a vapor. Your success, it's a vapor. All the money that you work so hard for and have sitting in a bank doing no one any good, it's a vapor. And he says, before you know it, you're gone. And you were forgotten. I've said this to, to my wife now at 31 years at this church. We talk about it a lot. My job is to steward the season God has given me. The reason you would never, ever, ever hear me say, this is Matthew's church. The reason you will never, ever see one staff person with a parking spot. The reason that you will always hear us say, we're just here because guess what? You're going to forget me the moment I walk out of here. And there's going to be somebody new. And they're going to come and God's going to call them and they're going to do what God's called them to do. My job's just to steward it and leave it better than what I found it. And if I can steward and walk out of here and leave it better than what I found it, then God's church will continue. The same is true for you. Whatever you do here, you're just a vapor. But what do you do with this? How do you respond? Well, listen, everything in life might be meaningless, but everything in life really does matter. 
But for everything in life to matter, you have to look and live above the sun. Last week, I was, if you were here, I, I showed you a, a video of the Oklahoma girls softball team. And when it came to one of the girls, she said, here, here's, here's our, our focus. Our, you'll see us do this, eyes up. And, and they eloquently spoke about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and they said, our eyes are up. And what that meant was, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ because you can't fulfill, have fulfillment in outcomes and in what we do in this world. Our eyes are up. That is why we're so steady. Because when our eyes are up, that is where we find peace and when we are at peace. So the question is for all of us, are your eyes down on this world or your eyes up? Let me remind you about Solomon. God said, Solomon, I'm going to grant you discernment and I'm going to grant you wisdom. I will give you something that you didn't even ask for. I'm going to give you wealth and honor. This guy had all the world could offer him. And he came down to the end. <laughs> and he says, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And I got my eyes off God. And I got my eyes here. And I was never fulfilled. Enough was never enough. So Ecclesiastes reinforces a foundational truth for all mankind. That apart from God, your life tonight, it's meaningless. It'll come and it will go. And if your eternity is not settled, it ends. He writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to fast forward to the end of the book. If you don't want to come back next week, you're going to hear the ending. And he says, here's two things after I tell you the whole story. Verse 13, he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's what you need to do. You need to fear God. And you need to keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You need to fear God, and that doesn't mean be scared of him or live in fear of him. That means that you set him apart and that he is holy. And that you worship him and you honor him with everything that he has given. And you live by his word. And when you live by his word and you put him in his proper place, then he says there will be fulfillment and there will be peace and there will be purpose. Everything in its rightful place, true significance comes from knowing God and keeping his commands. It is living a life of faith and looking at things above the sun and keeping the sun in your sight. It's only then that we find life and live the life God intended us to live. It's not just what is taught by a person, but by being in a relationship with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 9 says it this way, that the true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As I close tonight, the only thing that I would have to offer you as a pastor is Jesus Christ. That you would trust in his name and that you would become a child of God. Scripture says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And with Jesus, you don't have to step out of your day-to-day -day life to experience something extraordinary. 
you get to have him in your life every day and experience his extraordinary grace and love. See, because of Jesus Christ, your life matters tonight. So I just want to close, just like Solomon, and I just want to ask you a few questions that I would love for you to sit for just a moment, and I would love for you to ponder. First question is this, where are you finding meaning and purpose in your life? Where are you finding meaning and purpose in your life? You know what I know we're all resistant to do? We're all resistant to kind of many times take a look at our own personal junk. We're going to stay busy. We're going to stay noisy. We're going to stay whatever can distract us from actually attending to ourselves. So what are you finding meaning and purpose in your life? All man's miseries are because he doesn't want to sit alone by himself, Pascal says. Maybe today you found uh, Solomon just a little bit extreme. Maybe you thought, really, meaningless? Or maybe you were convicted. Good teachers always have a way of getting your goat like Solomon might. I just want to say, hey, don't ignore your resistance. Maybe God's speaking to you about something that needs to change. Second question, what or whom are you trusting in today? Maybe you can admit that you even traded some things for something else. You traded, traded your relationship with Jesus for something the world's given. But what or whom are you trusting in today? Third question for you parents in the room. What legacy do you want to leave for your children? Some of you are going to leave them a lot. Yet you're going to leave them empty. I told you a few weeks ago, my mom and dad left me nothing. And they gave me everything. Fourth thing is, how can you make a lasting and positive impact on this world? Here's what I want you to do. I'd love for you just to bow your heads. And I'm just going to let it be quiet for one minute. And I want those questions to stay up there and maybe you need to look at them, but maybe you just ask God whatever you need to ask him or maybe you confess whatever it is you've traded in, whatever it might be, just in this one minute. Just talk to him. God, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that comes from it. 
And tonight, Father, I, I just want to pray for anyone who has never uh, made a decision for you. That maybe they have, have, have just lived their life for everything under the sun and nothing above it. But tonight they heard that there is a God through his son, Jesus Christ, that loves them. And it simply just said that if they would choose to believe in this moment that you are who you say you are, that you would come and you would forgive them. So in this moment, if that's you and you've never made a decision for Jesus, if you would just simply say, Lord Jesus, I choose in this moment to believe. I believe. And I ask you to forgive my sins and come into my life. I choose you today. And Father, I thank you that, that you chose us, that you came for us. And, and we can have an extraordinary life, not by the circumstances that surround us, but because you are with us. Tonight, uh, maybe things are a little meaningless, but God, everything matters. So I thank you for giving us a place and a purpose in this world. I thank you for every person that is here, that God, you love them, you called them by name and you know them and in spite of us God you continually choose to love us so thank you for that but I pray uh, tonight we will go from this place and, and those questions maybe God we, some of them we need to make some decisions about and maybe some change needs to happen in our lives may we, we be willing to step into that but I thank you for the honesty of Solomon who, who had everything and got to the end and said I had nothing And so, Father, may we realize that our hope is only found in you. And because of you, Jesus, everything matters. So we thank you. We thank you tonight that we get to celebrate baptism and, and watch these people uh, get baptized and celebrate new life in you, Christ. Thank you for the decision that they have made. And may we celebrate with them about their new life beginning. So, God, we love you and we thank you for this place called Friends and all you're doing here in our five campuses. Thank you for the people that are coming and being saved and transformed. And thank you for your love for every single one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.